This is You Talking To Me, the podcast that takes a film, a 13-year-old boy, and puts them together to see what happens next. James and I view each movie and ask if it still has the power to excite, intrigue, and inspire. This is Man vs. Boy Film Analysis. Welcome to You Talking To Me. For each episode, we choose a classic movie for James to watch for the first time. This could be a critically acclaimed oldie, or an iconic film from any era, then we watch it together. From this shared experience, we'll discuss what he thought of it, to see if it still appeals to a younger, modern audience. In the last episode, we discussed Psycho. We found that it wasn't really scary at all, but that the twist still worked really, really well. In this episode, we'll be talking about 2001, A Space Odyssey. How are you, James? Uh, I'm okay, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So... 2001 was released in 1968 and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Written by Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, based on Arthur C. Clarke's short story The Sentinel, but this was greatly expanded by Clarke and Kubrick into 2001, which later was itself written as a novel by Clarke. The film stars Kia Dulay, Gary Lockwood, and was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay, beaten by Mel Brooks for The Producers, art direction and set decoration, and special visual effects, which it won. Kubrick himself was nominated for Best Director, missing out to Carol Reed for Oliver. Have you seen Oliver, James? I saw it when I was, like, five. I can't remember a single thing about it. I can't remember that. The plot of 2001 depicts stages of important human evolution via mysterious black monoliths that appear at significant points in history. Starting four million years ago culminating in the events that occur in the future in the year 2001. So how was it watching a film that's set in the future but you saw it in 2020 and you weren't even born in 2001 when the film is set? How was that? It was it was weird and I found it it's just weird that like they fought in 1968 that would have like hotels and space and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a load of attention to detail about that stuff, which perhaps we'll talk about later. But I think we just, you know, I just, well, it's just 2001, you just call it 2001, without thinking that, actually, that was a long time ago. Have you, got any, have you got any stats for us, James? Yes, so IMDb gave it 8.3 out of 10. Okay. Empire gave it 5 stars. Letterboxd gives it a 4.3 out of 5. Rotten Tomato gives it 92%. Metacritic gives it 84%. Okay, so all pretty high. So it's also number six in the BFI 100 Greatest Films of All Time. Number one being Vertigo. We spoke about that in a previous episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So number six in the BFI, which is the British Film Institute, but number 22 in the American Film Institute 100 Greatest Films of All Time. Robert Ebert called it unsurpassed, in its vision. So, we'll talk about the film. Let's talk about um, the Dawn of Man section. So, this is the first mm. part of the movie. I think you were slightly surprised based yeah. on the basis that you think this is a space movie. I have to say, you knew nothing about this film apart from you knew it existed and you knew it was a famous film. Yeah. And here we are with sort of man apes in the Dawn of Man, prehistoric Earth. What on earth did you think was going on? I was confused, I'm still confused, but um, <laughs> it was really, really cool to watch. It looked amazing, that whole 
scene, what do you call it a scene? Well, you say a chapter? Uh, well yeah, I suppose they are chapters. Uh, yeah. It's a sequence. It's all these, la- yeah, the landscapes are amazing. Uh, we see a dawn, don't we? We literally see uh, the sun coming up. I tell you what I liked about it. I liked the fact that we're witnessing some storytelling and we know what's going on. Well, I hope we all know what was going on. Obviously, there's no speaking. And it's also the first, we see the first monolith in the whole film, the big black solid monolith that the apes react to. And this being the, the nudge, if you like, in their development that helps them evolve. And from that moment, we see build up to a part where the, one of the man apes uses a bone as a tool and then as a weapon. Yeah. So did you could you follow that story? Did you understand that there's this in this section there's like a story being told that we're seeing that development? Did you understand that? Uh yeah. Uh you can definitely understand what's going on because it's very visual. So the famous music starts and the ape is bashing and bashing around at the at the other bone smashing this carcass to pieces and then we get probably one of the most famous shots in cinema history. There's this match cut when the man-ape throws the bone into the air, the bone that he's used as a club, and as it spins through the air, there's a cut, and suddenly we're looking at a man-made satellite in space. What did you think at that moment? Uh, I thought that was really like a really cool moment, and um, I thought it was cool because it was spinning, and so was the space station, and can see why that's such a good shot it's you know it's genius really that i think um um, as we watched it i think you i mean you literally made a noise you like a whack like a oh you know you literally sort of it took you by surprise so yeah i think that's so clever you know you're passing 400 million years in half a second where you know and you understand what's gone on yeah so we're in space and we see the space shuttle making its way to the space station. It's going to dock with the space station. And it's like a long sequence. Again, no one's spoken. It's a really slow sequence. It kind of sets the pace for the rest of the film. You know, you've got this graceful rotation of the, of the space station. You've got the blue Danube playing over, over the top. It takes its time. What did you think about the pace? You know, we said it's a long sequence. We've just watched the monkeys or the ape men and suddenly we're into this, you know, we've, we've just got this long shot and it's the start of a load of kind of very long, drawn out, beautifully rendered shots of spacecrafts moving around in space. Generally speaking about the whole film, what did you think about the pace of the film? Well, you'd think that you'd get bored by a long sequence of a, a spaceship docking. But it's just really interesting and cool to watch. Yeah, it just looks really nice. There's loads of detail, you know. Those ships are so well designed. The production design is excellent. You know, use of music is excellent. To me, I'm at this point in the movie, if I hadn't seen it before, obviously I have seen it before, I'm in, you know, I'm totally sold. Yeah. I would, I would, I would happily watch slow-moving slow spaceships set to classical music all day long, um, you know, they've got me. Um, I, I'm going to watch the rest of this film and be more than happy just viewing this visual feast. Yeah. You know? But it must be different to the sort of stuff that you watch. It's not fast cuts, <laughs> you know. Yeah, definitely. So how do you? So did you? Did it take a while to kind of get into that, into the flow of it? Did you sort of? 
Because no one's still no one's spoken. We just we're just sitting watching some spaceships move around. Yeah. Well, there was actually twenty five minutes until the first word was spoken, and I thought it was really interesting to watch. But I feel like kids my age would probably get really bored by that and would probably just like turn off the movie. I don't think it's necessarily kids or anything. I think uh, that, I mean I suppose if you're not appreciating it for what it is. Which again, I think is just you know, it's almost like a work of art, isn't it? If you're yeah. not appreciating it for that, then yeah, I guess there'd be a tendency to to think it might be boring. Yeah. So the reason that the shuttle docks with the space station is another black monolith has been found on the moon. This signals then the next step in human evolution. The monolith itself sort of dictating um, what we see in the sort of next section, which is a space mission to Jupiter. We're deeply involved in this film now. Yeah. We've totally given ourselves over to Stanley Kubrick. He's going to entertain us for two and a half hours. Who do you think's putting these black monoliths around the universe? I kind of think it may be like future humans to help mankind grow. Yeah. Or maybe aliens, I don't really know why aliens would do it. Yeah, I think that last question is important. I think it's most likely considered to be you know, higher beings, more intelligent beings, but the question is why are they doing it? And that's unanswered. I don't think that question is supposed to be answered. So next it's the, the Jupiter mission. It's 18, we're told it's 18 months later. This is basically the main section of the film. So we, we've understood what's going on. We find out that basically this is... Man's search for intelligent life beyond Earth. And we're introduced to one of the key characters in the film. Turns out to be the ship's computer. So we're introduced to HAL 9000, the onboard computer that controls everything on the ship Discovery. What do you think about it in terms of design? I think it was way before its time. It just looks really cool and I think I'd like to go on whatever that contraption they used to film that was because it just looks fun. Also, I think how the whole premise of, like, the whole idea of how is before its time as well because now we can actually have conversations with our computers. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the development of AI. You know, this is, this is it's, it's predating what's, what's really happening now. I thought the, um, the outside of the spacecraft looked a lot like what George Lucas would use a few years later in Star Wars. It looked very similar, and I think... Yeah, the the way... Yeah, so the way Kubrick shoots the uh, ship Discovery moving through space, yeah, you're absolutely right, is it just looks like the the Imperial Destroyers in Star Wars, in all the Star Wars movies, they're all shot the same way. Yeah, absolutely right. Inside the ship, inside the Discovery, the production design is, it's just brilliant. There's so much, there's so much detail. Do you think, I mean, you said, you sort of referred to it earlier that you think it held up, but I mean, I think it really does. It's this, I know they've, They've tried to make it look futuristic, but for you viewing it now, do you think it still looked futuristic? Yeah, 100%. What we do see when we're in the in the spaceship are loads and loads of great shots. There's loads of great images. Um, we've seen all the way through the film, sort of bold uses, uses of colour, which is very much a Kubrick thing. Tons of symmetry. It's, it's, it's like, you know, the shots mm. are so well set up, so well designed. We're in this amazing spaceship, travelling towards Jupiter, and Hal, the onboard computer, who is 
cleverest thing ever and can't possibly make a mistake and everyone's lives depend on Hal does make an error and then tries to cover it up by killing the two crew members. So there's a sequence outside where Frank is basically murdered by Hal. Yeah. And then sort of spins off into space. Does that, what did that moment remind you of? Uh, it reminded me a lot of gravity. Absolutely. I knew you were going to say that. I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? So it shows how important, you know, something like 2001 is. I mean, basically that whole sequence of someone spinning out into space and then the other crew member, Dave, going to basically try and save him but go and bring the body back. Yeah. That's just gravity, isn't it? That's just the plot of gravity. Yeah. There's only Dave left at this point. Hal is onto them. He's realised that Dave and Frank have been conspiring to turn him off and Dave gets back into the ship and he does eventually. He shuts Hal down very, very slowly. It's so well done. Probably my favourite part of the film. Yeah, I can agree with you in that. Let's call it the death of Hal. Very slow, but very, very clever. The use of colour in that scene, how red it is, I just think looks amazing. And I love it how Hal's voice slowly gets slower and deeper as you can hear that he's turning off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's that famous shot of uh, when we're looking at Kia Delay, we're looking at Dave, and he's he's got the reflection, it's all red. Again, yeah, you're right, it's it's all red. It's a bold red colour. And even Hal, you know, when we're the visualisation of Hal that circular camera looking at them. It just looks amazing. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, a vivid image that has been used over and over again. Costume design is brilliant. The spacesuit designs are brilliant. The thing I read that basically said that when Dave kills Hal, that is man's rejection of technology, mm. and then we move to the next section of the film. Yeah. And the next section of the film, which comes up on the title card, is Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite. And it... I mean, this is just... I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this before. Yeah, it's very weird and trippy and looks stunning. It, yeah, I, you know, what on earth did people make of this in 1968? If you went to the cinema to see, you know, the new film by Stanley Kubrick and near the end of the film, or sort of half an hour before the end of the film, suddenly you, it's just this bonkers psychedelic trip. You know, what? I don't know what they thought. I don't know if people got it or if people walked out or if everyone was just totally on board for the ride. Don't think you've seen anything quite so, I want to say the word trippy, uh, in any of the films that you've seen before. Um... When I was watching it, I thought back to one other movie, and you won't believe what it is. It, it's um, uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the boat scene. Yeah, it's reminded absolutely. me a lot of that. That's a really good call. That is a really good call. So, And I suppose use of colour in, yeah. in that as well. It did remind me of Interstellar. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially sort of towards the end where, rather than it being that sort of very symmetrical... Uh, line through the sort of vortex that you're travelling down. The shapes and the and the and what we're seeing become more fluid, become different shapes and different colours. And, and I, I just thought, well, you know, we're just we're just in, in, we're suddenly we're in Interstellar. Yeah. I think that sequence alone convinced me that that could have been released this year. Yeah, definitely. You know, not all of it, not all of it by any stretch, but there was there was some of those. Some of the ways that that was done, I thought, was just would just look so modern. Mm. After this bizarre and amazing light show, where we've got another massive contrast again, and yeah. all these contrasts through the film, and suddenly 
we're in this kind of you know kind of white room with with uh, but it suddenly looks a bit old-fashioned and we've got a bed and there's odd bits of furniture sort of dotted about and we see and it's just dave and he's finished his journey and you know he's kind of shaking and you know almost crying he's been where's he been has he been across the universe what what's happened you know yeah and suddenly he's in this place completely silent and we see over the period of a few minutes dave aging different sections of his life almost to the point where he is sort of almost he's lying in a bed almost unrecognizable and close to death yeah Yeah, he's gone on this amazing trip this amazing journey and then we see the final monolith and then there isn't he's not on the bed anymore yeah and there's a baby (laughs) on the bed and who who we will refer to as star child I believe that's a technical term for talking about this particular entity. And then we're kind of, we're almost at the end of the film, this amazing journey that we've all been on. 400 million year journey in a two hour, 20 minute movie that's kind of, I hope, blown you away. Oh, yeah. Blown me away again. And I've seen it two or three times. And then suddenly we're looking at the earth again. We're kind of almost where we started, which is a... Uh, there's lots of um, planetary alignments in this film. And, well, planet, moon, sun aligning together. And and then we're looking at the Earth. And then we see the baby, star child, and the Earth in the same shot. Yeah. What did you think that was all about, James? Uh, so, okay, so when I saw it, I, was, I said, oh, wouldn't this be funny if this was the end of the movie? And... It was. And then I said, why did they end the movie with a giant baby? Yeah, you did. And I think it... I don't think it is a giant baby. (laughs) I think it's perspective. And I don't even know if they're really both there at the same time. But quite what the baby's going to do next, I don't know. But yes, there's this baby floating in space, seemingly floating in space. And we see the Earth... And, you know, that's the end of the movie. And it's open for interpretation. That's what all of this is. I think there's loads of speculation about what it's all about. Yeah. And I hope you took stuff from it and maybe, you know, kind of... I know it probably wasn't what you were expecting, but presumably you'd think it was good. Oh, yeah. I thought it was amazing. I thought every single shot in the movie could have been like an art installation that just looked visually stunning and I can't bear to think how long it would have taken to get each shot. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's so... I mean, it must have taken so much planning to do. Every shot probably storyboarded and planned in advance, you know. You know, there, there, there are criticisms of the film, not from me, but I know that some people think that perhaps the acting's a bit stilted and it's all a bit, you know, unnatural kind of acting and that kind of stuff there's not a lot of emotion on display from certainly from uh kia Dulay who, who who plays dave but i think that was the part i think they were supposed to be like that i think that's part of it did he manage now that you've seen the film have you done any have you looked into it have you found anything else out about it so i wrote down straight after i watched it so i thought um uh when dave had arrived there he saw himself age and i think the baby was either death or the baby was rebirth. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, I know that, and I think this is a good thing, after we'd seen it, you literally said, 
I'm going to go and have to write some of this down. Yeah. Um, which I think is good because it means that it's kind of, you know, you're thinking about it and it's, it's, it's made an impact and, and, and it's made an impression on you, which I think is great. Yeah. Kubrick considered this the definitive attempt at a pure science fiction film. Yeah, that was that's what he was trying to achieve, you know, like the this will be the ultimate science fiction film. Yeah. And I guess it probably is. I don't think it's yeah, I like science fiction movies, I like Interstellar, I like all of those. But as a as this pure bit of storytelling and um something that's so visual and also the sound of it and you know, all of the the whole thing together is just just exceptional really. There wasn't much else out in terms of science fiction like it and i say that knowing that having looked into it planet of the apes was not only released in the same year it was actually released on the same day yeah planet of the apes is also a classic science fiction film and one of one which we will watch when it was released there were counterculture magazines published that included guidelines of when exactly when during the film you should drop acid so that when so it kicked in perfectly for when the light show started near the end <laughs> that's funny i'm sure you know at the time it was i'm pretty sure at the time it was marketed as a trip the ultimate trip um was was used as a as a tagline so it was definitely you know late 60s a lot of drug culture definitely definitely marketed for that younger audience at the time who might watch it whilst under the influence uh, it was actually the last science fiction movie released before First Men on the Moon. Oh, right, okay. There is actually 88 dialogue-free minutes in the entire movie. There is debate about 2001 actually being a really boring film. I wouldn't so, say that. So, if you look at if you put it, if you look in, put onto Google, most boring film ever made, you will get into... Uh, lots of forums and websites talking about 2001 being the most boring film ever made. But I think that's to miss the point. Yeah. Okay, what were your favourite scenes? So, I like the death of Hal, and I thought the last chapter, I really, really enjoyed that. I didn't understand it, but... I still thought it looked amazing and yeah. it sounded amazing. And I definitely liked the death of Hal. I just think that's absolutely brilliant. I enjoyed the shuttle going to the space station with the Blue Danube and all of that. I just think that's such a classic piece of filmmaking. But I like, and I like all the Dawn of Man stuff. I just think it, you know, it's so clever. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, that is that's that's my favourite Kubrick film. Yeah. Um, after that. Probably The Shining, which you've seen. Yeah, that's probably my second favourite. Doctor Strangelove, I like a lot. Clockwork Orange. And I have to say that having rewatched it now, I've actually rekindled my passion about this film. I yeah. actually just think it's better now than I've ever thought before. So I might, I might have to reevaluate my top 10 or top 20 films. Mm. I just thought it was brilliant. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, yeah. Every slow, drawn-out minute of it, I really, really enjoyed. What do you think people thought of it, like, in 1968? Do you think they were weirded out? Do you think they, like, properly enjoyed it? Or do you think they were never going to go and watch another Cubic movie again? I think I read somewhere 
that people walked out, some critics walked out of screenings of this. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'm sure that people didn't get it. I'm sure that people thought it was weird. I'm sure that people didn't tolerate 25 minutes with nobody speaking. And perhaps people did walk out. I think it's, uh, in hindsight, you know about it. Everyone knows about 2001. And you give it the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, seeing it fresh, I would have thought a real mixed bag. Probably a proper Marmite film, I would imagine. You love it or you hate it. I think over the course of time, it's become more revered. I'm not even sure if it was a hit. I don't know if it was a hit. I haven't looked into that. Like a big mega movie. Got nominated for lots of Oscars, like I said earlier. and, And won awards. But I don't know if it made pots of money. Not that that matters, but you know. So, you know, what does a 13 year old boy think of 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yeah, I just thought it was amazing. Well, that's great. I mean, I, that's the reaction you're supposed to have. Yeah, it's a work of total genius, James. And yeah. And I hope to watch it again uh, sometime. Okay, that's excellent. I thought next time, I thought we'd choose a classic comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, to watch. So I've done, I've, I've got, we've got three options. Oh. We will watch all of these eventually, but this is kind of which one do you want to watch first? Yeah. And I might have missed some ultimate classic comedies out, and there are loads of classic comedies, and there are silent movies, and there's all sorts, but the three I'm going to suggest are ones that I like. Yeah. So either Airplane, Blazing Saddles, or Life of Brian. Hmm. I'm going to go with. Life of Brian. Okay, okay, excellent. Well, that'll be the next one. So that's good. Thanks ever so much, James. Thank you. And talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tuck you in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, um, Thanks for that, James. That's excellent. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Film with no G and on Talking underscore Film on Instagram. Direct message us your comments and suggestions for for future episodes. Send us your top 10 film lists and we might read some of them out next time. Subscribe to You Talking To Me wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks as always to Johan Tasker. See you next time. Bye.